bottom line. Victor Avila, retired special agent. You've done so much. You're now running for the position of Texas Land Commission. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Yanko. Appreciate it, man. Great Appreciate to be with it. You. Yeah, especially no. on this special day. This is a day which we're going to get into a little bit, and, and I think it's okay with you. That is really special for you. We've actually taped this show before, and we've had some uh, interesting, because of the topic, I believe, there was some technical attack. So you're back, and, and it's just how it would be that you're back on this day, and it is a uh, special day that we'll get into. But thank you for your service to the country, long service that we're going to dive into, and and then also find out why why running for the office of, you know, the elected office of Texas Land Commissioner, and what what that is, and as I've learned through you and because of you, kind of what that office really stands for and what it holds. But let's just start with the beginning. Uh, I take a little bit of a different approach. Law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Why law enforcement? Even when you were young, when did you know you were you wanted to go into law enforcement? I'm not one of those to say, oh, when I was five years old, I want to be a police officer. No, Um, I did have interaction as a teenager. I uh, I served with the El Paso Police uh, Explorers, which is uh, attached to the uh, Boy Scouts. Okay. And they give you a uniform and you do a lot of community service. You ride along with the police officers. You work the parade. uh, And what that did for me is actually see the side of law enforcement that they're actually real people. They eat, they, you know, at that age right. of 15, 16. It's a person in the uniform. It's a person that yeah. has a real life like all of us. And they just happen to have this job that, by the way, what I found out is actually a very boring job. Mm-hmm. People uh, are surprised when I say that. But because that job is some, most of the time very boring, it goes from boring to life-threatening in a split second. Yeah. And that's the part that people do not understand. And so... I got to see that, <clears throat> but um, but then fast forward through my college, uh, went and got a criminal justice degree. There's a heavy influence of law enforcement and presence on the border. I grew up in El Paso, Texas, and the uh, the goal is become a federal agent. And so my career started at the at the county level, then the state level, then eventually as a special agent with U.S. Customs Service, which then became ICE. Yeah, and then of course my international. Uh, Serving as a U.S. diplomat in Mexico and uh, abroad in Europe. Dude, this is this is all the way through local law enforcement. Yes, you know, climbing through the ladder. Learn every time it's a new position, it's a new skill set, it's new learning, it's new exposure. Taking the old skill sets and applying them. We talked off uh, before this. We talked about the the art of negotiating negotiation that you had to acquire and became a actually a critical probably a part of why you were promoted to become a, a, a diplomat and a negotiator for our country because at, a, right. at one point in time you were negotiating on behalf of the United States take me through that a little bit while you were in Mexico yeah I didn't realize that the negotiation comes from at every level mm-hmm. um, from negotiating with the uh, the district attorney's office the US attorney's office the defense counsels uh, and then, of course, at a larger scale, like you just said, uh, negotiating on behalf of the, of the United States of America in, in uh, completing and putting together memorandums of understanding, MOUs, uh, binational agreements between Mexico and the United States, 
when I lived in, uh, when I served in Europe, in Spain, uh, between those countries and the United States, when it came to uh, coordinated efforts of, to combat human trafficking, drug trafficking, and such. So I bring that skill of negotiating at every level to this office, which this office, uh, as we get into talking more about it, it really comes down to that is uh, negotiating the defending and protecting of our Texas land because this office oversees the resources that we uh, gain from our oil and gas industry and mineral rights. Yeah. So we sell land, we lease land. Both on and offshore. On and offshore. And uh, billions of dollars are generated through that. And it's the number one employer in the state of Texas. And so uh, we, I will continue to defend that. It's under attack right now, by the way, under the Biden administration. They don't want us to be uh, resourceful. And the state of Texas is. And they have been trying to shut us down for the last year. I will continue to fight that aspect of it. Again, uh, negotiating. But also, uh, a lot of foreign uh, entities, foreign governor, governments that want to come and purchase land in Texas, in Texas yeah. you got to vet. And part of my career is uh, doing that. I've been vetting individuals, corporations, businesses all my career. Um, and so this office is should be and unfortunately has not been very successful in vetting some mm-hmm. of these individuals that want to purchase our land, and we'll get into it here with yeah, yeah. with the purchase of uh, 140,000 acres by a Chinese billionaire who has ties to the CCP, and who, who's owning land, owning land currently on the border, on the Texas inside, on the U.S. side of the Texas uh, U.S. Mexico border, and we were talking about Laughlin Air Force Base, and we went, you know, we've gone down the border many times, and we're tracking children, and and, and it's actually the night. The morning after, the morning before the news broke nationally that that commercial airliners were landing at Laughlin Air Force Base, which is a DOD right. Air Force Base, we train our Raptor pilots there. And I mean, we have, I mean, this is this is a not, no commercial airliner flies in supposedly shouldn't, but they were. We were there the night before and we saw them. The next morning, the news broke nationwide, and of course, people found out that children were flown all over, all over the U.S. But what I didn't know while standing there and documenting and tracking these kids, what you brought to light to me was, as I'm standing right off the Air Force Base, I'm standing on Chinese territory. That's right. They own I'm not even. Area. I'm not even standing in, in, in territory that's owned by a, a, an American citizen or whoever. Now, you, we could argue and say, okay, well, a, a Chinese individual, a, individual can come buy land. And, that's right. Sure. But you, 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 you know, touched on vetting. Now we know, now we know post-sale, and now my understanding is the Attorney General of Texas is a great guy, Ken Paxton, yes. they're trying to get the land back. to retrieve it, yes. Because somebody didn't vet proper, properly. Because if they did, they would have found, you were, t- were you telling me about generals in the CCP attached to this individual? Military, higher-level military officials completely working with this. So they send a pawn to go gain access to a territory under the auspice of it's just private, it's a private purchase, but it's not. It's strategic. Yes, and they have very specific plans for that land other than the ones that we know about is, you know, the wind farms and other things and, and building higher towers and, than the ones that are existing in Texas. Plus, we know the, the national security risk here with China. Why, why are we even, you know, yeah. pretending not to know China is our number one enemy in the world and China is in Mexico. 
They've been in Mexico. Very well established. Very well established yeah. because they're in with the cartels. Some of the crimes that you were sent there to fight, when we talk about the drug, you know, now fentanyl, number one. You know, there was a time we were tracking fentanyl and it was coming across the borders of powder. Yes. And people were dying like crazy, quickly. One use died because nobody knew how fentanyl is so, so lethal. They didn't know the quantities, the dosage. So China rolls into Mexico, sets up GMP labs. Yes. Pill factories. Pill this mills. is not this is pill mills. This is not Mexico doing this now. They're allowing through China the cartels, to come in, right? Through yeah. the cartels, but now they're manufacturing the pill to a certain dosage so that they can get someone hooked on it so they don't die at the first dose. And the same is happening with methamphetamines, and it's rampant. So now, when you tell me now they own land on the U.S. side of the territory, it's becoming stash. It's going to be used as stash houses, and and it's gain of function, like we talk about. COVID. This is gain of access. They're gaining access through yeah. every means, through land, through the cartels, killing yeah. us by sending in the poison, by teaming up with the Taliban. We know that they're with the Taliban. Um, and yes, gaining individuals in the, the smuggling of uh, terrorists through Mexico. This is one of the main reasons why I'm running for this office. It's a national security risk. Absolutely. And public safety, because on top of all that that we could talk about the illegal immigration is the crime associated with a lot of these individuals that have, in fact, killed our police officers, killed our American children, raped our American children. We have enough crime in our country and obviously a crime surge right now that that we're facing that now on top of that, we have foreign nationals coming into this country to add to that crime. And a lot of these individuals are prior deports that have been in this country, yes. been caught, convicted of sexual crimes, drug crimes, violent crimes, some that maybe even I uh, was able to secure and put in prison. They did their time, were deported, they're coming they're, back. They're back, but, they're now back. They're, but now they're back with a friend, and that friend is called the CCP, and the CCP working with the cartel. We have enough children being trafficked in this country. It's, it's a deluge. I mean, we can't keep up. It's so hard. Having children come across the border for whatever reason, whether it's to be trafficked or whether it's to pay off debt bondage or to bring drugs over or to gain access at border point. You know, we're talking about young single males, military age flooding across the border, thinking that they have China as a mechanism behind them that funds operations to the cartel. This is a national security risk. There's no question. I mean, would you agree? Absolutely. It, it absolutely is. And I also want to add that uh, and I want to thank you for everything that you bring to the attention of human trafficking. But you and I know that this has been going on for a long time. It yeah. just happens to be that human trafficking has become more aware, which is a good thing. Uh, but I've, I've been dealing with it for many, many years. And I'll give you a quick story. In El Paso, Texas, we took down a stat, uh, hotel. Actually, it was a motel uh, with a smuggler, illegal aliens, all adults. But uh, my partners were in there interviewing the smuggler. While I hear one of the female illegal aliens uh, yelling, to asking about her daughter. And I said, what are you talking about? There was no kids in the motel. She says, no, the, pointing to the smuggler, the smuggler has my daughter. So we go in there, press him, and eventually he gives up the information of where, in fact, he has this lady's daughter. We suit up, hit another a stash house in yeah. El Paso, Texas. In the U.S. In the U.S. And, yeah. and hit it, and we discover 18 children in the room with four adults, none of them, obviously, the next to Ken, one of them being that lady's 18, 18-month-old 18 daughter. 
And so all of a sudden, we're like, what in the world is going on here? Now we need resources. Now we need vans. Now we need milk. Now we need where diapers. Do we, yeah, where do we take him? Where do they C- sleep at night? CPS and... HHS. H- yeah, this exactly. is 18 children in one night. Can you imagine the thousands that yeah. we're seeing now? Yeah. So it, it definitely has uh, taken a strain on the system. And they've, the cartels and the traffickers have taken advantage of that, knowing that, in fact, the system, the way it's set up, cannot handle yeah, no that way. amount of volume. So they ha- it's a free-for-all right now. Yeah, and, the, and they're leaking through the system. And, yes. and those 18 children, and people say, yeah, cause you, you say that you've been part of rescuing kids under two. This happens. You just talk about an 18-month-old. Yes, mm. it's that sick. Evil is that sick. Yes. If that child is not intercepted that night, they're in the United States, and it's it's oh, to track that child down in the system in the U.S. It's almost impossible. It's almost it's impossible. A, it's a ghost, and and the cartels know this. And children, sex is always involved. But one thing that I've learned, and and I want to talk to you about Mexico City particularly as I as I move towards a particular day, which this day is is in memory of. You can't separate any of these other crimes from sex trafficking. It's like it all goes together. Sex is always in there. When there's drugs, there's sex. When there's, there's sex and drugs, there's children. When weapons, there's children. And they know. I, 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 want, I'm, I want to add that this, this, you're right on spot because you're absolutely, and I, I really appreciate you understanding this because human trafficking investigations, which I, I'm a subject matter expert in that, but are the most difficult cases I ever, ever, ever investigated. But I'll, you are just right, and I want to say this because Every case that I of human trafficking case that I investigated had all those violations involved in the sometimes murder, yeah. weapons, drugs, everything within the human trafficking investigation. That sometimes the prosecutors want to stop there and yeah. they say, "We have the murder. Let's exactly. just get them." Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. I push to I want to convict them on human trafficking because that's what they actually do. Yes. And we even if we, if we rescue victims. And it's normally by law. Thank God now we have the law since 2015. It's normally by law where we're going to get the maximum sentence Correct. of 30 years. But but to your point, as a Texas land commissioner interacting with district attorneys, interacting with law enforcement, sheriffs, state, state you know, troopers, border protection, the attorney general's office, the governor's office, the power this office holds to do good which is what I'm looking at it for, to work with us, right? If we have someone in there, as we have at the moment, this is my opinion, that does not have the aptitude or the understanding truly of what trafficking is or necessarily the willpower to let this office do what it was supposed to do, we're at a loss if we can get someone in that office that truly understands trafficking, international trafficking, drug trafficking, how the cartels work, how to broker, how to barter, how to negotiate, how to go in and fortify Texas, which which is a, a it's like Swiss cheese at the moment. Mm-hmm. It's leaking through. We absolutely need that. Help me understand the power intended mm-hmm. from way back when yes. for this office. So this is the oldest office in the state of Texas, even before there was a governor's office. This office was, in fact, created for one purpose, and that's to defend Texas land. And I want to take things back to basics. How much land are we talking about? 13 million acres of state-owned land. That's a lot. And so I will start with the uh, the thousands of acres that border Mexico. We'll start there. I just came back from Kenny County, yeah. spoke to more uh, ranchers and landowners. 
great information. Every time I go down there, I learn so Me much. Me too, man. It's like it's you incredible. can't stop. You just get more. I want to share a story that I just got Please. Two, two days ago Please. from a rancher was driving on his ranch road. A body is on it, on the way and in the road and the roadway. He gets off thinking it's a dead body of an illegal alien. He's pretending to be dead. This has, is Africa tactics. Has brass knuckles on. Mm-hmm. And he goes to go see him. He gets starts attacking him, punching him. Five illegal aliens come. They um, they take his truck. He had his rifle slung on him. They beat him up. They take on the truck. He gets his rifle, shoots off rounds, and they get scared and they you know they spread out and and, and bail the truck and take off. This is what's happening on the border. This is what's occur- occurring. This is a Texas landowner that is dressed desperate for protection and i i don't know i may or may not have been on this ranch but i've been on many and but people don't know of the 1200 plus miles of texas border with mexico right they think the rio grande is this massive deterrent at times it is no water 10 inches deep or no water water. number one across number one secondly even border patrol today are instructed by the administration that they need to aid and abet what they are called refugees, which, which, where's the refugee status? No, That's no. not even there. And we're seeing, we're seeing the morale decimated of our border patrol, of our state troopers, because we have any state troopers down there too. I, a state trooper I, you know, worked with drove two and a half hours per shift from four counties over yes. to come support on the border. And then he says, I'm not immigration. I can't deport anybody. Right. I'm literally just here to, and now there's thousands of trespassing cases. You know, which are not felonies, and and we're overrunning the system. But but people don't realize is what you just said. A lot of the land, it's private property, and unfortunately, it's not being patrolled. It's not, and uh, this is where I come in as a land commissioner. Yes. I, I talk to them; they want to donate their land. The landowner's like, "Please, I'll give you this portion of the land so you could put whatever it is that you need to." It necessarily not have to be a wall. Sometimes it is a wall or, or a barrier, but sometimes it's infrastructure, infrastructure, a road. Cameras, Technology, camera, infrared, lighting, night vision, lights, just lights. big old lights to yes. shine them away. So just a patrol way, just a patrol you, area. One, one of the ranches took me down in, in what they call a, a drag line, where they drag the chain links fence yes. and, they, and they clean it out. Yes, so I've that, seen them do that so that border patrol can track. The drag line is this tall. The grass is overgrown. Mm-hmm. The administration is not even patrolling. So they're basically telling a rancher. In my case, this is the ranch where we found five five kids on the ranch was found under, under age of seven, twenty thousand acre ranch. The owner of the ranch, the mother, says, "I don't even leave my house anymore because the cartel." So we take her onto the property. It was her first time in a month going onto the property, and we find tracks. We track the tracks to the river. I'm talking about tracks, foot, footprints smaller than my palm. Mm-hmm. Children, hundreds of them, into the river, a crossing just. I mean, and you've been there so many times. Yeah. It's just baby diapers and clothing and, and needles and just insane amount of insurer and, and stuff. You, you just reminded me um, that I got this information from another rancher that I was just there in Kenny County. And this is, goes directly to the Texas Land uh, Office because the General Land Office also is, uh, is there to preserve. Yes. We want to preserve our land. We want to preserve our beauty. Protect, we protect preserve. and preserve. Well, great point. She says, all these ranchers, that have their their livestock, their cattle, are having to lease, listen to this, having to lease land to put their livestock on another property 
because there's just an enormous amount of trash that is being left by the illegal alien traffic and their livestock get sick because they'll eat it. The cows will eat it, the, the, you know? And so have like, so you talk about preserving. They're all also, if you think about it, eroding, destroying our land. No, no question. I'm going to have, you know, after that, I'm going to have Becca throw some of those images on screen because I want people to see. We're not talking about four or five candy wrappers. No. We're talking about it's, it's decimated and, and we are there. We're yes. standing on the ground and, and yeah, it's an environmental, yeah, environmental I, issue. I, st- I stood there that day and I said, you know, if only, if, if you don't even care about the children that's being trafficked, that's being brought through a cartel zone right before they even get to the border. They've got fifteen plus thousand dollars of debt to work off. The mothers, the cartel will kill them if they don't. Where's the environmentalist? That's, that's right. even just talking about all the all the crap and the trash floating down the river, the Rio Grande, and on the Texas. That's no, right. they don't care. One one rancher, this particular rancher is seventy five years old, and his wife, and they're they're very well known, and he used to hold a public office. He got a big ranch, and I talked to him three nights before we got to him. Two o'clock in the morning, he had a knock on the door. Now, so much of this, Victor, is reminiscent for me of africa when you talk about the guys laying in the road right this is a this is how my mother got carjacked people lie in the road so you can't run over them you stop you think they're hurt you get out and they and they ambush right mm-hmm. yeah 100 everybody in my family has been carjacked uh, in in, Af- in south africa at gunpoint i mean shots fired in the gun it's insane by god's wow. grace they're alive this is africa so this is africa but it's texas i'm like wait a minute how did we get here that's right. How did we get to people crossing the border illegally like Africa and come and rape and plunder and steal and go back? You talk to me about how often cartel will come over and go back. This That's, is not even just staying. This is like a— They don't want them. A lot of them don't want to come back. No, it's, it's, a it's, it's a thoroughfare. They just go back Drop off and the forth. drugs, drop off the people, drop off the kids. That's, so as a Texas land commissioner, you have a say-so into this situation. Absolutely. You can— so then I ask myself just, okay, well, where's the current land commissioner? Like, what is happening? How do we sell land to China? How, how does this happen? I want to pause there because I've said this for a long time. I, I, I believe in term limits. I believe that if someone tells me they want to be a career politician, that's a reason for them not to get into politics. Okay, because, because the elected officials are there to go solve problems, right? Okay, pause. Why is it important to you? Obviously, you have a, a life of service as law enforcement because they're walk me through you arriving in Mexico City as a as a diplomat. Yes, and and what happened today? Mm-hmm. How many years ago now? Uh, Eleven years. Eleven, 11 years, years ago today. today. And it happened to be this is the first year that I remember it happening on a Tuesday, and today is a Tuesday. And um, my career led into being uh, a, a, a diplomat, still a special agent, but now. Now you're there in a different mission, uh, pursuing the, the mission of the United States, helping Mexico. And I thought there was going to be a, a the diplomatic world that you kind of imagine. Mm-hmm. Didn't, that didn't exist in Mexico. There was a little bit of that, but most of it was hand-in-hand hand with the government of Mexico. And I'm talking about operational uh, police work on the ground, training, you name it nonstop the, the most i've ever worked in my life that office still when I worked in the there, trenches not what trenches. you thought the diplomat in no, the suit was no, going to be it no, was, parties, it was more and, parties and wine yeah. no it was not and it was uh is the most i ever worked in my career and our office was the busiest office in the world the ice office in mexico city so just overwhelmed uh not only just what we're facing in mexico which was enough but also the requests from the offices from within the united states 
we need to look for a fugitive. We need to locate a witness to get it. Oh, you can imagine. It, but it was wasn't everywhere. this the same time, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't this the same time when really at the height was kidnappings yes. and ransoms in Mexico City? At the Pe- height. People killed and, and displayed and that whole thing. Uh, body, I saw the bodies hanging from the bridges uh, yeah. in Ciudad Juarez, 350 murders a month. I thought at that time it, Mexico couldn't get any worse. And I was so wrong. It's been, it's gotten way worse. And wow. so it's kind of hard for me to fathom how, how bad it's gone, gotten, but here we are. And so, uh, that's, that was my, my, uh, assignment in Mexico City. We fast forward, uh, 11 years ago, uh, I should say back to the future of, uh, uh February 15, 2011. Uh, Agent Zapata and Agent Jaime Zapata and I were uh, sent on a kind of a dubious assignment to go pick up some equipment from our Monterey counterparts, ICE agents. Driving from Mexico City to Monterey is about 11 hours. Wow. And so it's a long drive. We were going to meet in the middle. We ended up driving a little bit more than them, about six and a half hours, picked up the equipment. We're driving back. On the way back past San Luis Potosí, at this point, we're about four and a half hours from Mexico Out. City, yeah. uh, uh, north of Mexico City. We get ambushed by two SUVs full of Zeta cartel members. Now, at that time, we didn't know there were Zeta cartels, cartel members, but they force us off the shoulder to the, to the, uh, the, uh, we're in an armored suburban to the right shoulder, uh, AK 47s, about, um, eight, I always say eight to 10 shooters. We only got eight of them, but I think there was more at the time. And they surround us. Uh, there's a lot of logistical things that I wrote in my book about it. Uh, eventually there was a, a lot of commotion. My window was rolled. My armored window was rolled a couple of inches on my side. And by the time the, com- all the chaos that was going on, two of the shooters introduced an AK 47 and a handgun through the window crack. And, uh, I raised the window and caught both barrels of the guns and they started wiggling those guns. And I posted myself. Now keep in mind the back of the suburban is full of boxes. And uh, the, all of this, by the way, we identified ourselves, uh, I did, as Americans, U.S. diplomats, U.S. embassy employees. This vehicle is a diplomatic, plo- a diplomatic vehicle. Look at the license plate. Uh, let me show you my diplomatic password. But these guys had evil in their eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, none of this. Uh, by the way, they, they corroborate this in the, in the trial yeah. a few years later in Washington, D.C. Then, in fact, they did hear me. They knew we were Americans. And without notice, of course. without of notice, course. they opened fire into the cabin, uh, striking uh, Agent Zapata multiple times, lethally in his leg. And I got struck three times, once in my chest and twice in my left leg, and uh, tried to get out of there, crashed a vehicle. And uh, long story short, ended up in the middle of the highway for 40 minutes, trying to be rescued by someone that we could trust. Now, you can imagine in Mexico, the corruption runs rampant. Three of the individuals, even in the federales. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I thought three of the highest level of the Mexican federal police at that time. One of them that actually responded to me at the hospital. They're all in custody right now as Sinaloa cartel members. So this is what we were dealing with on a daily basis, and so I only called the one person that I trusted from the federal police after calling the uh, embassy, and they came and sent the military and the and the police to rescue us. But this is forty minutes later. We got helicoptered out of there. Agent Zapata tragically lost his life in the line of duty today, 11 years ago. And so it's a, it's a somber moment. It's a, it's a hard day, but it's a day to remember him. And it's important for people to know that there are, are people out there serving yeah. to protect you every day. 
he gave the ultimate sacrifice in defending the homeland against everything that you and I are talking about today. I'm an immigrant. You are the son of immigrants. Um, I say this often. We're not just free because of a set of documents. Sure, we support those documents. The ultimate document, the Word of God, and then the Constitution, the Bill of Rights that supports the Word of God. We have unalienable rights. But still, someone right now, as you and I are sitting here, are fighting to preserve freedom. You are fighting. It's fought for. It's it's bled and died for. I mean, yeah. this is just this is how freedom comes to be. It doesn't just happen. No, it's because men and women give their lives, like Agent Zapata, a friend. On this day, a somber day, if I may, your wife shared with me the other day that this day every year she takes off, mm-hmm. and 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 she's here today to support you. I don't think, and I and if people do. Forgive me, but I don't think many understand that one is a human being in the uniform, and the whole family serves. That's you right. can't you can't have a father or a mother that puts a uniform on in the morning, gets in a car or or whatever or in a military vehicle and goes off and go. Well, now it's leaving. It's the whole family. It's a lifestyle. It affects the children and the wives and and the you know the next of kin. It it's it they all serve, you know. So for you and your wife and and today we celebrate. Uh, Agent Zapata and his family, mm-hmm. and, and God bless him, and thank you for that service. But this is where, why it's so important to me that when someone wants to go run for an office and represent the people, maybe they haven't served like you've served, and you've served. And I, I'd argue to say, for a guy who took three bullets for his country, that is a hellacious experience, number one. And you argue that the aftermath... It's- was worse. 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 I, I, I talk about it in the book because uh, the day I got shot is the day I lost my career. I just didn't know it. And um, I, it took several years to figure that out. The agency didn't want me back. Operation Fast and Furious, two of the weapons recovered are tied to that uh, botched assignment and botched operation under the Obama-Biden administration. So a lot of lot of things. Uh, yes, my family and I paid the price. We got the short end of the stick for sure. Somehow the government was very good at turning the tables. Like somehow I did something to the government, which I all I did was serve, and I, like you said, paid it blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. And um, but I do owe it. I owe it uh, a lot to God and my wife for the support that she and my kids have given me, and the reason why I'm here. Because there were some very dark days after the shooting. Years, in fact. Um, and and now we're in a in a better place. But now I have the the you know the passion because. So I can't be a special agent, but I'll tell you what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a change agent in this office, and mm-hmm. I'm going to change what the status quo has been here for years where it's a rubber stamp. Oh, it's been like that. Well, it's not going to be like that with me. Tell us a little bit why you told me, and I want, I want you to share with the people why this office is a rubber stamp, but, it, but it's older than the governor's office, yes. protecting the land, preserving the land, also miles into the ocean floor, the oil rigs that we see on, on a, te- you know, if you go out Galveston and yes. you start seeing well platforms, that's under the control of this office. Yes. We're going to talk a little bit later about a lot of that money f- funds the school systems. I mean, this office is is massive, but but you've been shot three times. If I can remind you, on this day, you lost a a a com a, you know a, a comrade in the fight on this day, and still you want to go serve some more. I well, mean, tell I, me tell me why why still serve. 
That's, um, I tell people to look at it this way. Whatever you do for a living and how you get your earned income, you cannot, one day they tell you you can no longer do that anymore. And so for me, I struggled with that identity that law enforcement was my, my part of my life. It's sure. part of my identity. It's a calling. I did have to separate it that it's not who I, who I am. It just ha- happened to do what I do. It just happens to be that identity is a very strong one. Cause even my family, even my friends, they just attach that this he's a law enforcement officer. It, it just comes with the territory, yeah. right? So the the natural progression for me was public service. And yes, it happens to be an elected position, but doesn't mean poli- to me the the word politician. Um, I'm still not that. I'm still the same Correct. person. Yeah. I just happen to want applying for a job that the people of the state are going to choose who they want, and that's what I want is apply for this job because when I did the research for this office. The first thing I found out and people were telling me is that, oh, wait a minute, Victor. Well, this office is used as a as a scaling point as a to get to higher office. Like a step stool. It's just it's a stepping stone for this office, for the for the other offices for uh, attorney general or, or governor of the state. Well, what about the uh, actual duties and scope of duties of this office? What happened to that? Nobody seems to do anything about it. Or, in fact, because they are not there for that reason, you get debacles like the Alamo, you get debacles like uh, not being able to deal with uh, hurricanes and Hurricane Harvey and, and, and natural disasters and mitigation and and and, and serving the people of and, Texas. And vetting. Yes, vetting. Vetting again. You work Katrina. Yes. In, 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 in Louisiana. Yes. But a lot of the Katrina refugees, the transplants are in Texas and, and in Houston. Oh, yeah. And you, All and, over. And you told me a story about, you know, how the, there was no vetting. No and, and all of a sudden, crime downtown Houston is through the roof. And I'm not saying there. everybody that came from no. Louisiana is committing crime. But, no. I mean, it's a process. It was a when, big when, process. When chaos ensues, there's no time to then have a plan. Unless that office, whatever it is, president, governor, school principal, it doesn't matter, CEO of a company, unless you are in routine, in rhythm, prepared and ready, ready, willing, and able, right? As an athlete or right. as a soldier, right. I served in right. my country. Unless you're ready, when the moment strikes, you will not you will not know what to do. And so it tells me that when those things happen, Katrina happens in another state, but hey, it's coming over here. It happened in Hurricane Harvey. Or, or Harvey happens, right? If, if that Texas Land Commission office, right, is not on point and ready to handle those kind of things, it will be a debacle. It will be botched. And you see, I, I um, and I'll use this, I usually don't say this, but uh, there's opponents that'll leave it up to the experts and I'll have a, a staff that'll take care of it. Well, maybe that's the case for this office, but I, I myself as a land commissioner will know how to do that because I have the crisis management uh, experience because I've done it. Yeah. So um, I, I will share with the experts my experience, just like I have the ex- experience with the negotiating the border and everything else. I will negotiate that as well. So um, as you can see, there's a very, very important office that touches on a lot of parts and, and the school system being the next one, the public, yeah. Uh, yeah. the uh, the uh, the school fund. And, uh, and that, that school funds derived from natural gas and oil. Oil, the money, oil, about 16, $16 billion. Yeah. That goes to our universities and our schools. And often misappropriated. Very much so. I will challenge that money. I will see where, because they tell me, well, that's uh, legislatively appropriated money, Victor. And it, again, rubber stamp. You can't do anything about it. It just goes to the schools. Well, no, I, w- I will challenge that money because the school systems, as you and I sit here, are out of control with teaching critical race theory. Comprehensive sex ed. And yeah. all these issues 
Plus, on top, they want to do whatever they want to do, not following the orders of our governor when, in fact, our governor says, you don't have to wear a mask. But Dallas ISD doesn't care, and they force your kid to wear a mask. Well, if we're doing all that and they want to do that, why do this, why does the state of money, uh, state of Texas continue to send them the money? I will challenge that money because that's what's going to get their attention. When they used to get five, uh, 10 million, and maybe they only get 2 million this year. Oh, it's They're going to change. They're going to change. Oh, they're going to start. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Truth will come back to the surface. Oversight, you know, to that degree or just checks and balances. Just, you know, zero budget accounting every year saying, hey, are we appropriating these, these funds right? Or are, are we funding bad guys? That's right. Are we fan funding bad guys in our own system? Because, you know, we fight for children. That's what right. we do. We've been fighting sex trafficking for goodness. I mean, since it, it came into our lives in 1994 with my sister being trafficked. And and so here it is. And it's prevalent throughout, but it's in the school system. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's in foster care. It's in CPS. It's in, it's in the state. It's yeah. in the state. It's just it's here. We definitely do Houston not. Houston and Tech, uh, Houston and El Paso. Yeah. I'm sorry, Houston and Dallas Fort Worth being the number one areas in the country. Yes. For sex trafficking in this state. In I Texas. Don't, I don't, in this state That's of Texas. I don't want to be known no. for that. I want to, oh, by the way, education, 34th out of 50 in the state of Texas. 34 out of the 50 states. That's, that's also unacceptable. Uh, what is this money doing? But, but this money that we're talking about, and we, Again, I say this to people. When you fight the exploitation of children, you almost fight every fight. Because now, I mean, I mean, we're consulting on 20 different political campaigns from, from, you know, county judge campaigns all the way through presidential races and, and, you know, land commission to having this conversation about what these guys do. And you find out that it proliferates through everything, yes. education and children. So inner city communities, when we start talking about school choice, and property tax, and all these different kinds of things. I look at this office with complete new eyes. Honestly, you've just brought a complete new lens to me. I, I, in a way, wish I had this information like years ago. I just didn't know how powerful that office can be. Can be. In fighting good fights, you know, in calling the good to rise up and pointing out, you know, what I call the cockroaches of society. I will use every ounce of authority this office has and jurisdiction. And before we end, I want to make sure that people understand that veteran benefits is probably the biggest one that this office also oversees at the state level. And again, I will do things that have never been done with this office when it comes to veteran benefits. I want our veterans processed off the street. I will build facilities for them to uh, get them off the street and get their paperwork and administrative paperwork, their ID, medical, whatever it is that they need to do to get them through to the VA system. I don't want to house them. I want to process them because all I see is illegal aliens being processed. Absolutely. In all these camps that are, are, are popped up oh, all around. Billions them. of dollars. Billions I mean, of dollars. Th there's a camp. In Texas, and I don't want to give a location because I don't want a bunch of people to show up there because it's dangerous. But there's a camp with a soccer field. Oh yeah, where they can house ten thousand children. I mean, the facilities will make will make private schools look like nothing. And the U.S. taxpayer paid for this, by the way, without voting for it. It's just by default. But we can't take care of our veterans, no. our own children, our own foster kids, our own three to five hundred kids that's on the street being trafficked in Dallas alone at night. It's it's. Um, I, got, I got kicked out of the facility down the further south in Texas. A new one that popped up not so long ago. I got in and I was impressed and actually um, kind of in awe of how the state of the art that these facilities are. Incredible, 
in the middle of nowhere. Yes. Uh, plumbing, uh, water, electricity, uh, 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 recreational F- areas. Floodlights. I Flood mean, it's I mean, like a city. I mean, nice. Yeah. And I'm like, it's not for us. It's not for me. It's not for any U.S. citizen. It's not for any veteran. It's for people from other countries that are here illegally. Because I'm a pro-legal person. Same legal here. immigration. But I, we have a really good legal immigration yeah, system. Yeah, and it has. It and it can work. be. And it, it needs, needs work. work, of course. But, I mean, it's there. It's there. I'd argue it it was really difficult for me to become a citizen because I was from South Africa and we never lift the free trade treaty between South Africa and the U.S. And I'd say, ah, it was a little unfair, but you know what? It's worth it. It was worth it. It should cost you something, you know, to be an American citizen. It's 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 such an honor. Because those people, Jaco, want to come here and be Americans. And the biggest difference that I see now of the illegal aliens coming in is completely the opposite. I want to talk about that after this break. I want you to talk about assimilating. Yes. Right? If you can, just real quick. I got to just thank the guys and gals at Patriot Mobile, the only Christian conservative cell phone provider in the U.S. that truly, honestly puts their money where their mouth is. In this conversation, let me tell you, Patriot sent down some of their executives with us to the border, not just to come observe, literally came in shorts and T-shirts and boxes of food and resourced our armed forces, our border patrol, our ranchers, went to food shelters that feed thousands of children on the border, and they resourced them. and They stand with us. They really do uh, what they say they're going to do. They put their money where it matters. And they use all the major cell phone towers, just like all the other carriers. So you're going to get great service. Go dial 972-PATRIOT. And when you do mention the bottom line, that's where you are, the show, the bottom line, and you'll get free activation. Check them out. 972-PATRIOT, Patriot Mobile. We appreciate everybody at Patriot Mobile. The concept of assimilating. When I lived in Canada, I go for a walk one day. It was it was a soccer World Cup going on, okay? And it's chaos in the streets. You can't drive anywhere. But I but I go for a travel to explore a city where I'm there to play football, right? Mm-hmm. After I immigrate to the United States. I sign a contract to go play football in Toronto. And I and I discover um little Italy. And then I go, you know, four or five blocks further and I and I discover little Greece and like the Australian community. And then, and then, you know, the Asian community. And Middle I, Eastern community. And, Middle East, and I figure out, well, wait a minute, there's no such thing as a Canadian. And of course, by, by passport, but I'm talking about one set of values where you become a Canadian, like you become an American. You pick up the American, the, the dream, the American values. I even had to swear an allegiance to this country and That's lay right. down my allegiance to South Africa and had to defend this country. That's right. Foreign and domestic threats, right? Talk to me now about illegal immigration that you're seeing, and you've lived in Mexico City today. Do they come to become Americans? There's very few, very few now that actually come with that objection, uh, objective to work, one, and to want to become an American and assimilate. And I wrote that, that word on there, and I remember thinking about it because the Biden administration right now, if you, as you and I speak, it is you cannot write the word assimilation or assimilate in any document it is they prohibit you from doing that just like you cannot use the term illegal alien even though you hear me saying it a lot because it's a legal term it's not a derogatory term it's a legal term it's a, in it's, our law it's legislative it's legislative law that's what yeah. it is refer, referred to but the assimilation part is so important because it's you use the word become, and it's so important. Yes, you're becoming this. How do you become an American? Well, you become with the values of God, family, 
uh, education, hard work. It's very simple. But you also become a member of your community. You do communicate with your neighbors. You do engage with them. Uh, it's we, a responsibility. We've done that. I've lived in a lot of places around the world. I've tried to assimilate as much as I can when I lived in these different places. And, and, and that's the big difference that I don't see it happening. We are, what I'm seeing is the Guatemalan national, well, they want Guatemala here. They want Afghanistan here. They want Ecuador here. And you can't have your cake and eat it too. It doesn't work that way. The, they seem to want to, all the, the benefits, the money, the education, the, American the housing way, the of American the Americans, yeah. yet still proudly wave their home country's flag. And that's not just the way it works, because if you would try to do it just the other way around, go into Mexico and put a get in the back of a pickup truck and wave the, the U.S. flag. See what happens to you. See how long it takes you before somebody takes you down. That's how serious they take it in their, their country. Yeah. They're not going to allow it. Yeah. But yet we allow it here. I want to talk about because I I am uh, man, I was on the, on the phone with a an attorney general yesterday that does a lot of good work in in our fight and that's why i love you so much brother because you have fought historically for 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 human rights these are human rights issues. human rights well, yeah. these are human rights issues and when people that sit in their ivory towers and human rights violation human rights violation pause for a second let's talk about the kids raped and plundered and trafficked in this country let's talk truly about the kids that's flooding across the border before you say bleeding heart we should take care of the, the people of the world we physically can't this book I want you to talk about this book, okay? Agent Under Fire. I don't take this lightly, but I want to point something out. Three bullet holes on the cover of this mm-hmm. because three bullet holes in your body. Correct. Right? Um, I want to recommend this. We'll, we'll throw it up on the screen. Agent Under Fire by Victor Avila. Talk to me about this book a little bit. Uh, what can we expect in this book, Victor? It was, um, you know, I, I needed to put the story down. I needed to educate and want to bring uh, the awareness that a U.S. agent was killed in the line of duty in Mexico. That had not happened since 1985 when DEA agent, Special Agent Enrique Camarena, K. Camarena was murdered, was captured and tortured and murdered. And there was a, uh, to this day, is a, a beautiful uh, uh, remembrance of him by that agency. But that didn't happen with Jaime Zapata. As you and I, on this day, I want, I want you to tell me if you, in fact, will see anything on the news, will, in fact, see anything on the Internet from ICE or DHS honoring Jaime. You will not. And it's very sad. I will do it. It's my duty to do it as a survivor. And so part of this book was to write it. Yes, it's a tragic story, but I want people to know what we went through. So I, I, I tell people who I am. I obviously uh, uh, have a career, and, and I talk about some drug cases that I did. I talk about human, human trafficking, trafficking because yeah. that's my passion. And I put a very serious case. I'm not going to give it away, but one of the most horrific cases that I worked in New York City. Um, I put it in there because people still tell me that, is it true that human trafficking happens? You know. So I, I put that example in there and then go into detail about the whole uh, process of this ambush that we went through. And then at the end, I, you know, like, well, I, I went through an identity crisis where people started referring to me as, oh, Victor is the guy that got shot. Or Victor is the guy that, that uh, survived the ambush. Well, I'm a lot more than that, right? Yeah. I am a husband. I'm a father. I'm all, all these other things. But I'm also a border security expert, and I know. So I said, I'm going to write about what I know and what I would do to solve all these issues, not just regurgitating the problem, 
but real solutions. And you're going to read those. And if you read them today, you think I wrote them today. I wrote this book a little over a year ago. And it's as relevant, probably even more so now. More so today. Because I talk about the wall. I talk about asylum. I talk about sanctuary city policies mm -hmm. and how that's heard mm -hmm. in the defunding the police and all these issues, bail reform. Uh, this is at the end of um, the George Floyd. So I mentioned a little bit about that, about policing in America, how uh, we've shifted from taking the power away from our sheriffs and police officers and all of a sudden a mayor is running the show and telling them what they can and cannot do in Portland, yeah. what they can yeah. and cannot enforce. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, so all of that is in there at the end and, and a real world solution. What I would do with Border Patrol, what I would actually mm -hmm. would do with the border. And I think you'll, you'll go through some emotions because the aftermath is also in there and how my family and I were treated. Yeah. Look, I, I say this with someone, I, I meant to say this earlier, someone has served, got shot three times and he says, I'm back for round two. <laughs> Yeah. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to serve again. That's my kind of guy. I'm just, you know, people know this about me. I think I came out of my mother's womb and the doctor just said, well, this one was born to fight. Mm -hmm. You give him a purpose. Otherwise, he'll end up in the octagon probably and fight where, where he, he can get hurt. But I, I have to. We have to we speak have to. for the voiceless and we have to represent the people. Now you're running for an office that's elected by the people. Yeah. You know, okay. I, th I think there's very few. Very few, uh, even even in a party that I support, that that truly keep that in the frontal lobe where they That's go, right. I am elected by the people. I'm here to represent the voice of the people. I'm here to fight for justice against injustice. I must do the right thing. And the right thing, I argue, is we find our answers. What's the right thing? It's in the Word of God. It is all men are created equal. It is everybody does matter. It is defend. We, I, I say so much of what they fight for today in this country. I'll say, well, it's in there. It's in the Constitution. You have it. You have, you have the First Amendment. You have the freedom of speech. We don't have to completely break the system for you to come to a realization, oh, now I have freedom of speech. You have it. You're right. You can live your life the way you want to live your life. But we can't start superimposing and enforcing others unless, I argue, there's an other motive. I want to bring faith back to this. This is our system, the political yeah. system. I want to bring that faith back to where people see that, in fact, we elected this representative because that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, we've lost a lot of faith in a lot of these, even within our own party. Of uh, You're just demoralized like, well, we thought this guy or this lady was going to go represent us. And as soon as they get to this higher office, uh, whether state level or federal level, they do nothing. Uh, or are incorporated in doing other things for the for the establishment, whatever you want to call it. I want to be able to bring that faith back that, in fact, they're like, Victor is there. Wow. He's actually there's an a, there's an agent on the wall. There's a guy doing yeah, what he uh, said he was going to do. Ezekiel 33. We have a watchman on the wall. He understand his job. He was actually trained for this job. Yes. Overqualified. I'd argue overqualified. Even you can do this job. Uh, you just based on what you've done, you can do this job. My question is, is why has it not been done? And then it raises a question to me now by default, because that's how I am. We fight in all 50 states. Now you caused the problem for me. I'll just be honest with you. It's a serious problem that I've been dealing with for the last two weeks. <laughs> you know, you've really put a workload on my shoulders, but I, in a weird way, I thank you for it. But now I'm starting to question every one of those offices. In, in, in the states where that office is prevalent and it has, and I go, okay, well, what else, what else can be done by elected officials to help us? 
protect and preserve children, to save communities. That are that is not being done, right? And so it's like I gotta go turn every rock now and say, well, are you doing your job? That's are you right. doing your job? You know, and so it's easy to look at governors because I think people have a general understanding, I think, of the purpose of a governor, the purpose of a senator, state senator, U.S. Senate, Congress. But land commission, good night, in the state of Texas, there's a reason it was the first office. That's right. There's a reason for that. And you you touched on the Alamo. And, and so I'll say this, and, and please disagree with me. Uh, Victor, please do not just agree with me, but this is a bipartisan issue. This is not protecting and preserving Texas. Who gets to buy land? Which foreign entity controls rent, right of passage, roadways, bring stuff in and out of our country? That should be a concern for every single American, red, white, blue, libertarian. I don't care. You must, as as a liberal, as a libertarian, as a conservative, want someone in that office that's going to uphold law and order. The entire state. Um, you know, I'm not running to represent a certain part of the population. I'm running to, to represent the entire population of this of this great state, uh, from El Paso, Texas to Brownsville, you know, up from the Panhandle down to Beaumont. That's what I'm looking at. Everyone deserves law and order. Everyone deserves protection. Everyone deserves public safety and to be safe in their own community. I think that's the uh, the epitome of every elected office from the ground up, from your city council to your, your county commissioner up until the level is that you should always have that in mind mm-hmm. is the safety and security of your citizens. I want to, I want to, um, I'm not going to let you go yet. I'm sorry. I got a couple of questions. Is that okay? <laughs> that's fine. Um, at the height of me- your Mexico City experience prior to the, to the incident, mm-hmm. because that was, Right. Immediately, you're air and that's your end. And, and I'm assuming that you go to a, a, a hospital in Mexico City and, first. And uh, San Luis Potosí, we were air uh, medevaced, and then from there they got me out at three in the morning to Houston. To Houston, which I assume, but but Agent Zapata did, did not, not have that no, privilege no. to to make it to Houston. Uh, did did they declare him deceased prior to arriving to the hospital? At, no, no. At they, the hospital. At the hospital, the doctor so came in fighting. and told me. He was fighting for his yes, life. Yes, and um, I remember telling the doctor there at the hospital to please treat him with dignity and respect because when we showed up to the hospital, the hospital didn't know that we were Americans. They assumed, obviously, because of the way we looked, that we were Mexican police officers. And I did not tell them on purpose. I was petrified. And I talk about the book of the fear that set in to me. Because who's with you? People like, were you afraid when you're getting shot? No, I never felt anything until we were going to the hospital. I I was convinced, like I could tell you right now, that they were going to kill me at the hospital because I've seen those cases and I've investigated those cases where the cartels find out that in fact they left the survivor, Mm. and the hospitals are sometimes the hospitals are in on it. Yeah, and so I was just petrified is the word I use that fear that I didn't tell them my name. I didn't tell them that we were Americans. I refused any IV or medication because I wanted to be in all my five senses. And now, after being shot three times. After being shot. And the bullet were, in your chest. Sorry. Yes. Uh, if, and yes. please stop yes. me if you don't want to get... T- talk to me about the so right side. Very, very it fortunate. It went in and comes out. Missed the lung. Yes, missed the lung. Uh, I still have a bullet in my left leg. I get an x-ray about once a year, make sure it hasn't It didn't moved. travel. Yeah. yeah, so they the doctors, uh, both of them, the one in Houston and, and Mexico, uh, said it was just too intrusive to remove it, so they left it there. It's, it's scar tissue. It's encapsulated. Is it close to the carotid? It's like, it's like a 0.02 millimeters. From, from the there. carotid? Yes. 
which is i'm assuming and correct me if i'm wrong is the the blow that that hyman, that, yeah, that hyman yeah, took yeah, with an ak round through yes. the yes. through the crowd now ak for people that don't know and it's I've a, got I've got too much experience yes. with AK because it's an Africa right. weapon. That bullet, at distance, it actually tumble, and that thing it's it's not a very efficient weapon, but it creates just a mess. I yes, mean, and so so think of those. Uh, I had a lot of shrapnel in my face and a lot of in my groin area. Were you in the passenger seat? I was in the passenger seat. So so the shots fired. All the shots are literally yes. past you. Yes, and so I have a hearing loss. Uh, I suffer from hearing loss on my left ear because I turned this way to avoid uh, the shots. And so uh, I have hearing loss here and I had a lot of uh, lot of glass and, and shrapnel in my face and in my groin area. They were taking the, the metal out because those bullets were bouncing uh, around course. inside, I mean, the, inside the cabin. It's, it's chaos because yes. it's an armored vehicle. Right. So now once a bullet is inside, it's going to ricochet Correct. inside. Correct. It doesn't just penetrate through the vehicle. And so, I, I have pictures that I show... Um, where I guess I open my legs and the, the, the shots are in the, in in the, the seat. seat. Yeah. That's incredible. I'm by, telling by, you, I'm, by, I'm here by the grace by of the God. By the grace of God. Yeah, no, God decided that day. One, one time one person asked me, it sounded very rudely, uh, like how is it that people sometimes, uh, and you, I went through this and part of the, 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 the trauma is, why did you survive and Jaime didn't? How is it that you survived after being shot at over a hundred rounds? And I didn't have the answer for that. A hundred rounds is yes. fired at two people. Yes. To, to it, did you have any opportunity? The only answer you can have to that, we can, I'll give you an answer. Just as a lover of Jesus, as God is my king and, and I'm ordained, I'll tell you this. God gives and takes life. And at that day, um, as sad as it is, it, it was... It was a decision that it was time for Hyman to be with him, and he saved you for another day. He saved you for a purpose. And that was and, the answer. And I say this to people. If you wake up this morning, which you did and I did, I'm not here for me. The second I think I'm here for me, the second I think it's about me, I'm off. I'm alive for other people. I'm alive to fight for somebody, to defend my kids, of course, and my wife. Mm-hmm. But we're here because God has a purpose with your life, your job, is to go find that purpose, is to pray, to get on your knees like Daniel three times a day to the east and say, Lord, why am I here? And if he's calling you to run for an office, it is an assignment. It's no different than being sent by the government of the United States to Mexico City as a, as a you know, in a special envoy. Hey, you're going to go represent our country. You're here to represent God for good, for people, against evil. And so you're alive. And so that's why I'm taking this so seriously because yeah. because the human nature would be, I'm not serving again. I'm going to hide. I'm going to take a low-key job. I'm going to blend in. I'm going to minimize the risk completely. There's major political capital, social capital risk running for an office. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So it's service. It's service. Uh, I, 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 it, is, it is the word calling. When we looked at this, uh, there was major, major uh, thinking about it. It was, it was methodical, and I, I say this sometimes that I, I love that word from my very first supervisor, U.S. Customs Special Agent, uh, God rest his soul, uh, Kenny Williams, who passed away after one year after his retirement. But this was an old-fashioned, you know, U.S. Customs Special Agent, and he's like, Victor, you conduct these investigations slow and methodically, because when you do it methodically, there's very few things you're gonna miss. Uh, you hurry up, 
you're distracted, you lose, you'll lose things, you'll lose evidence, you'll, you'll miss cues and, and stuff that you're looking at. And so that's the way I approach this race. I came in a little late, but it wasn't, it wasn't because you were late. Purpose. It, it was yeah. because I was really praying my wife and I, is this what it is? And I, and we came to the really, this is it. This is the, the opportunity to serve. This is the calling. This is the reason. There's been many reasons. Maybe it was just to see my kids grow up. Maybe it was just to be with my family. Maybe it was uh, other than that, but it was more. It was always more than that, is Victor can give. Victor can serve. There's a yeah. lot more for me to yeah. give back. Well, your first, obviously, your first job, you're a husband. That's yes. the most sacred institution, and then you're a father. Right. And it starts there. I mean, I tell every father, that's the first battleground right there is earn their hearts, fortify them, raise them up in God's ways. They won't depart from it. And then there is now going to the community, which you're doing. And, you know, in those moments, in the line of fire, way overused term, but mm -hmm. in the line of fire, was there an opportunity to fire back? Because it's no. so risky because you couldn't because it can no, in no. a chamber, right? I mean, yeah, you couldn't we shoot back. And uh, and the detail here is that my I didn't have I had we had we had two two weapons and we didn't have access to them they were they were stuck in the bottom of my backpack that were caught under beef, underneath the two the folding seats so there was no access to them when um when I ended up uh, in the median and then I was able and did you take over control of yeah. the vehicle somehow? well I you, you from land, the from the passenger seat, the passenger as, seat as much you as I could land over and yeah tried and tried and push get it in gear and trying to put Jaime's leg on the on the gas as we as we hit the car uh, to escape and crashed it and people can go online and see the pictures of the of the suburban how I ended up but um the part where they when they left one of the SUVs did a u-turn came back and two of them came out, and you'll see the pictures where they just tried. They were shooting their AK-40s right through the, trying to trying pierce, to penetrate, penetrate the, pierce. The, uh, the the glass. And uh, once they left, I got on the phone. The, the call is online where I called the embassy. But then I, I was trying to access my weapons. I remember with all my might pulling that backpack from underneath the seat. And then I got one, put it in my belt line, and I had the other one because people, there's still a couple of people you, that you tried to approach. You don't know at that point who's coming. No, who's no. Who's a friendly? One of, one nobody of them, is a friendly. Nobody was them. a friendly. One of them looked like a like an ambulance. And I'm thinking, okay, this is, uh, the, here's the rescue. It's just one guy. But he's not wearing a uniform or anything. But you know an ambulance when you recognize. Yeah. doesn't have any markings, but it's the shape of an ambulance. He comes across and opens the door and uh, da, 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 And I'm already hoping. He can't see me, but I have my gun on him. And he's like, uh, I don't trust who he is. I find out years later under the testimony that is Lozetta's uh, own ambulance that they use. To come clean up. To, and clean up or rescue them. Rescue so, their or, guys. Or, or, or so, come so, and inject so, something or whatever. But it that is tells me, because you, 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 know, you drove six and a half hours, give or take, right. okay? And I may be watching it. And you drive... You know, back, you're about four hours out from Mexico City from base camp, yes. right? They knew. They knew you were yeah. Americans. They knew. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were, oh, they yeah. had so much time. Had you been, had you been doing that route before? Oh, I knew Highway 57 is the, the main artery, main artery the main yeah, road. Yeah. And no, they I'd driven knew. it many times. So many they times. sent a cleanup crew after either to help their guys. They're fallen, right. Fallen or to friends, finish off or to, or to clean up the, you know, the, the mess. Look, this conversation can go on forever. Um, I, I would remiss if I don't ask you this question. You're an expert in anti-human trafficking, not by choice, by just being in this fight for so long. Some would say I have a lot of knowledge in this and, and I really think I do and we fight in this. Is 
the trafficking of human beings today, sexual exploitation today, is it prevalent, very prevalent, or is it a crisis? It's a crisis. Um, it's such a crisis that we have to put out now these uh, awareness uh, public announcements during the Super Bowl because Super Bowl, and not just Super Bowl. That's but how the, prevalent it but is. But Super Bowl is a good example. There's other uh, boxing, big boxing matches mm -hmm. in Las Vegas all, that attracts a lot of people from other parts. Any human migration, yeah. It brings in these individuals that want to participate in the human trafficking with yeah. children. And uh, it's unfortunate that there are organizations out there, criminal human trafficking organizations, that provide the children, mm -hmm. that provide the young girls, I'm gonna ask the victims. Becca, Becca, do you mind, can you pull up the, um, as we close, the Texas Land Commission office website? I just want people to see it. And I want to encourage all the viewers to go look at the Texas, especially if you're a Texan. Go look at the Texas Land Commission office. Educate yourself on, on I mean, Victor's done such a great job, on the role. And then look, man, this is me officially, no hat, throwing my hat in the ring and say, come on, let's get a soldier, a guy that has stood for this nation, a father, a man of God, a husband. Let's get him in that office to go fortify and defend really the, the, the barrier to the United States, which is the you know, the state of Texas. Yeah, we have California and New Mexico, you know, but sure. small portions. The largest portion, 1,200 plus miles out of 1,900 miles, is Texas. And if we don't fortify Texas or, or at least negotiate and broker on behalf of the state of Texas when it comes to land, the appropriation of money, school systems, anti-trafficking. Border, border protection. Border protection and what you're going to be able to do for anti-trafficking, um, then we're going to be in serious trouble. That's That's the website. We'll put it up at GLO, uh, you know, uh, .texas.gov. Check it out. Also, um, this book, Agent Under Fire. Uh, for all the guys out there, make it a gift. Buy this for your son. Buy you know, age appropriate. Buy it for your father, your dad. Make it a gift. Let's let's support the guys who who really have experience, um, who's not there to become lifetime politicians, who really just want to serve. Historically, has served. Victor, it's a it's an honor. I'm excited for you to be in that office because so it's going to make my job a lot easier fighting traffic. Oh, imagine that what we can do uh, when you have someone that knows exactly what's happening and recognizes it. Um, uh, I'd ask the, the viewers and the listeners to go to VictorAvilaTX.com. That's the campaign one. Uh, VictorAvilaTX.com is the I'm getting a lot of support from outside of the state exactly because of what you're saying. People understand that what's happening in Texas is crucial to the rest of the nation. Absolutely. If we lose Texas, we people in Virginia, mm -hmm. in Colorado, and so uh, I want to thank everyone for those donations and for that support from outside of, of the tex of Texas as well. Yeah, and, and hopefully this time around, t tell us a little bit about the campaign. Just when voting is, you know, early, early voting started, started yesterday, yesterday on Valentine's Day. It goes in on the primary primary in a couple of uh, weeks, and then the the big day is March first. And we have a lot of opponents, but uh, the the way it looks as I will be in the pro, uh, in the runoff, the, the top two will go. If no one of the uh, uh, candidates gets above fifty percent, the top two go. If one of them gets fifty percent, that will be the candidate for the Republican Party. Um, but because of the way it's going on, and because I'm coming in making some very very strong waves here with the people, they're starting to recognize uh, 
they don't want another politician there. They want yeah. a, a a person just. Uh, well, I don't want to. I don't want a runoff. I want you to be the guy. That'd be nice. Above the fifty, let's go fifty. And, and I think I think let's because we're bringing an awareness to the importance of that office. Hopefully, the show and things like this can make people go. Well, wait a minute. I never even thought about that. I need to be intentional and maybe go vote on this where they've especially, never voted before. Especially right? the primary. And it's I'll so say important. it again. And I'll say it again. It is. When Victor runs, it's a bipartisan issue. And ultimately, when you run against someone on the, on the other side, it's going to come down to who has the skill set. That's right. Right? Because obviously now we see that previous occupants of that office have, have not been able to vet because they're selling land you know, under an auspice to the CCP mm-hmm. on our border, which is a disaster. Okay? So good luck you know, getting that back. We're going to have to fight. That can't happen, and, and you have the skill set. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, family. Thank you, Jaco, for Thank having Thank you for me. serving again, man. Appreciate You're it. a blessing. Thanks, Thank brother. you so much.